So this morning we will, we will continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. We're in, in Matthew chapter 22, and we're covering the final portion. Verses 34 through 46 is where we are. So we know that up to this point, uh, Jesus has been really confronted. Uh, the people are making every attempt to entrap Jesus in some way, shape, or form and twist him up with these questions, and this is the third question that he's going to be asked by this lawyer, and then it's his turn to ask the questions. So let's start out by reading these uh, first few verses here. Verse 34 in Matthew chapter 22 says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, Which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Heavenly Father, as we come to the third and final question that Jesus will be asked, that they dare to ask, I pray, Father, that you would teach us, that you would help us to understand what you would have us to glean from this morning's study. Lord, that we would more closely resemble you in our lives, that we would reflect you to others, and you would be glorified. And so, Father, we find your people strengthened, build up, help us to walk more closely with you and see your love, your faithfulness, and your grace in how it is that it is offered to us and you desire for us to walk in your love and grace. It's for our blessing and to your glory. And so we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is questions for God and from God. And like I said, we're coming up to, this is the the final question that Jesus is going to be asked. And then we're going to get now uh, to the point to where Jesus is going to be asking them a question. Um. There are three different groups that have asked Jesus those questions. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, as we saw, also the Herodians had come together along with the scribes, taking really turns confronting Jesus and making attempts at entrapping Jesus, finding some way of having Jesus basically indict himself with his answers to their questions. And I said last week that no matter how hard a person attempts to entangle God in his words, that person will fail. Because we have come to know, I hope for the most part here, if you haven't, you will come to know that God's word is perfect and he has perfect knowledge of all things. A person cannot and will not find it twisted. And... We need to also understand that He knows our hearts. So rest assured that He knows our motives also. When we ask these questions, why are we asking what we're asking? He knows our motives. And sometimes, you know, there there are moments to where it is very necessary for the Lord to reveal the motives of our hearts 
the motives behind the questions that we're asking him. Do we want to justify where we are? Or do we truly want to find the answer to our question? So what questions do you have for God? Why do you have those questions? Are they sincere? And here's a very important question. Have you searched the scriptures yourself for the answers to your questions? Don't search your own hearts. Please don't do that. Your hearts are deceitful and wicked. That's what the Bible says. Who can know? You know, your heart will lead you astray. They'll lead you into a pit of depression and even destruction. So, have you searched the scriptures for the answers to your questions? That's what's really important. And you will always hear me say that. No matter what, you know, you can ask around as far as, I hope you're asking those people who are wise in Scripture, right? You know, I'm having trouble with this, you know, help me out here to find the answer to this. I, I hope you're ans- uh, asking those people, but really, you should do the work of a Berean and make sure that even their answers line up with the Word of God. God desires to provide answers to you and for you. Did you know that? When you have a question, he has this desire to answer that for you. In James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it is written, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, without making you feel bad for asking the question to begin with, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. One thing that we can do is when we go to the Word of God to get these answers, and even then when we receive the the answers to those questions, we kind of doubt, we, we kind of go back and forth. It serves us in no way, shape, or form. We need to go to the Word of God knowing that this is truth. This is, in knowing Jesus through the Word of God, the answers provided to us for everything that pertains to life and godliness, according to Peter. This morning, we now come to see a lawyer asking Jesus a question. Again, making an attempt at entangling Jesus and making an attempt at leading Jesus to Error in his response in order to, again, indict him on a serious charge to finally get rid of him. Really, that's what their motive was. Now, we need to also keep in mind where we find ourselves. What week is this? This is the time we've already talked about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We're in the final week of Jesus' life. And this is the final question that he's asked. From here on out, he goes straight to the people. He bypasses the religious leaders, although they do not stop from pursuing him and trying to do everything to completely silence him. He will go to the cross shortly, but not as a guilty party, but as the innocent Lamb of God, as a sacrifice for the sins of you and I and to take away the sin of the world. That's why he went to the cross obediently, according to the will of the Father. So let's take a look at this first question. Which is the greatest 
commandment. We just read this. I want to read it one more time, and then we'll break it down. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Sometimes what we come to find out, maybe you've, you've seen this in your own life, or in history as we learn history also, is that when we have a strong opponent, sometimes, um, and, and this opponent is beating everyone, right? The enemies kind of rally and come together. They group up in order to make every attempt at defeating this opponent, And this is what we find here with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They gather together now. They're gathered together, and and they're they're opposed to each other. Uh, They're on two different um, sides as far as their beliefs are concerned. And yet here, they're joining forces to try and defeat Jesus. And, And there's this one man among them all, and he is considered a lawyer, He is, as the original word comes to mean, he's an expert in the law. And we're not talking about Roman law. We're talking about the law of God. We're talking about the Old Testament. He's an expert in that law, in the very word of God. And he comes forth from among them, a lawyer that more than likely has experience in cross-examining witnesses and is experienced in tying these witnesses up with their own words. A good, experienced lawyer will do that. Go ahead and testify on your own behalf. Oh, that's a, the person who's representing, representing you. That's, that's uh, the worst thing you could do. You're, you're, you're going to be found that, that the other lawyer is uh, expert in tying you up with your own words. And this is what's happening. At least the attempt of it. And this lawyer asked this question to Jesus. He said, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Now, on the surface, wouldn't that be a good question? You would think so, right? That, that's a pretty good question. I'm sure you had people that were there. They were witnesses. They were, they were seeing this exchange. You know, they, they saw the Pharisees. Uh, they saw the Herodians. They saw uh, the Pharisees. They saw all of them engage Jesus. None of them Um, succeeded. They all failed in their attempt uh, to tie Jesus up and trap Jesus with these questions. And now that's that's a good question. That's a very good question. Which is the great commandment of the law? Again, on the surface, this looks like a genuine question. But there was an ongoing intra-Jewish debate on how to rank all of the scriptural commandments. 613. Imagine that. How do we arrange them? There's lesser ones and there's greater ones is what they were determining. And if possible, 
how can we summarize them all? And so that helps us to understand that this was not a genuine question in search of a genuine answer. Remember that as we saw here that one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Again, to try to entrap Jesus. So given that Jesus' views on the law were considered by these people to be radical, they were sure this open-ended question would lead Jesus to answer in a way that would be self-incriminating, and he would indict himself. Well, here's Jesus' answer. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We know from Deuteronomy 6.5 that, that he uses mind instead of strength, but it means the same thing. It doesn't change the original, but actually gives us a fuller understanding of the original commandment and summarizes the law with what they knew, summarized the law's core principles. So he answered it, of course, perfectly. To love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Love the Lord, in other words, love the Lord emotionally, volitionally, and cognitively. Love the Lord with an intense feeling that expresses itself. We can't throw out emotions when we're worshiping God, when we're praising Him. I know sometimes we we can take it too far, and that's all we're going for. But the true worship of God is not void of emotions. Love the Lord in a conscientious, willful manner. That's what we have here. It's an exercise of the will. It's a choosing We choose to do so. And love the Lord with knowledge and understanding. It is this kind of love for God that will result in living in obedience to all of His commandments, as well as we can. Thus, the great commandment is the one that leads a person to follow the rest of the commandments genuinely and with full knowledge and with an expression of our emotions. Have you ever been in a place to where, with full knowledge, you come to be reminded of God's grace and love and His compassion and His patience with us, and you just, you're just in awe? You're in awe? Who, who am I, God, that you consider me, that you incline your ear to me, that you have made a way for me to enter, enter boldly, confidently into the throne room of grace and find mercy in time of need? And just complete, just like broke down. Have you ever done that? Just in the midst of your worship. Why? Because it's a willful devotion and surrender to the Lord. And you find yourself in awe. It's all of these things. So Jesus answers it in this manner. And he basically summarizes the law and the prophets. In one fell swoop. And they knew this verse. They knew this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And so Jesus said, this is the great and first commandment. But then Jesus goes beyond the original question and adds a second commandment. The term like it can mean that it is 
that uh, this commandment was of equal importance. How is that? Well, a love for God with all of your heart, soul, and mind expresses a love for others, never anything less, never in hatred, jealousy, bitterness, resentment, envy. You cannot stay in that place if you are truly loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with a complete knowledge and understanding of who He is, His character, with a willful surrender to Him. And then that translates also, and it includes this emotional devotion to the Lord with, again, full knowledge and a choosing. You cannot not love other people when you truly love the Lord. Well, when you have your vertical taken care of and you're loving the Lord, the horizontal, the, the relational issues of life, friendships, marriages, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, it, it, it all looks differently. It looks completely different. To exercise, to be in the middle, uh, uh, as far as our own hearts, uh, a place of hatred, jealousy, bitterness, resentment, and, and so many other things, is, is to not understand and know a love for God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Something is missing. If you're in that place right now, something is missing. And that something is, is that you don't fully understand the grace of God. You haven't gotten to that place. Or maybe you just aren't right now. You don't understand God's forgiveness and His compassion for you. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is not a call to self-love, but it presupposes that it's already there. I, I don't know. I mean, people can go on fasts, uh, but you, you won't starve yourself willfully. Um, you're all clothed. It looks like pretty nice. Um, got shoes on. You know, you take care of yourself. Um, you look like, most of you look like you're groomed pretty good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we take care of ourselves. We do love ourselves. And so the Lord is saying, hey, listen, you love yourself. You tend to yourself. You take care of yourself. Love others the way you already love yourself. There is a care and concern for oneself that if applied to others would demonstrate the kind of love that Jesus is referring to here and would serve as an example of loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. It would express that. It would demonstrate that kind of love. And then he goes on to say, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, all of the other commandments are summed up with these two. And all of the other commandments are contained in these two. Put any commandment, like any law that you see written in the Word of God, and these two are intertwined. You'll find them in every single one. And so I would think with that, that this would be a a statement, a declaration by the Lord that for us, 
it would be very important for us to pay attention to. This quote-unquote expert in the law and the Pharisees had no objection to Jesus' answer. Please note that. They, they couldn't answer. That was it. What were they going to tell him? You know, just as he had been told before, oh, you're right. Jesus is right. Absolutely he's right. We don't have any objection to Jesus' answer either. Not today. For his answer is truth. Now, we know that Jesus would go on to define who our neighbor is. In a way that far exceeded how the Jews defined neighbor. Remember the, the Jews hated the Gentiles. Um, they were unclean. They would not mix with them. And so Jesus would go on to define what a neighbor really is. And you know what's, what's interesting is that we're also going through Deuteronomy, and we just covered chapter 22 um, on Wednesday, and we were reminded how uh, previously in the law, God had not only said that we would be in sin if we do not help a brother who is in need out, uh, for James tells, tells us that to, to know what's right to do and not do it, to him it is sin, but also we were reminded that we are to do right or to do good our enemies, to our enemies. And so uh, when Jesus defined neighbor as he who is in need, regardless of whether he was Jew or Gentile, he was simply restating and reminding them of what was already commanded in the Old Testament. Nothing new. It's not a new commandment. So this lawyer was looking to trip Jesus up with this question and instead was again provided with one of Jesus' perfect answers. And now Jesus has a question for them. Verse 41. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, not from that day. Did anyone dare to ask him any more questions? <laughs> we're, we're done. This question, who is the Christ, is a question that we too need to answer and get right. That is the question. If you don't know that question, the answer to that question this morning, that is the one question that you need to come to answer correctly. In order to know eternal life, that you would not only answer it correctly, but that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who died in our place after three days he rose from the grave and today sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I. He's our Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus gets to ask this question. Jesus had evaded all of their traps and now turns the tables on them and asks them this question of whose son is the Christ? 
This has been their problem all along, though, the way they answered. They had refused to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah and are now posed with the question, whose son is he? Their answer exposes their problem. They are solely looking for a humanistic, a human, a a person uh, that can nationally deliver them from oppression under Roman rule. That's what they were looking for. A nationalistic liberator. A Messiah that would deliver them from Roman oppression. So with perfect knowledge, Jesus asked them a leading question. To get them to think scripturally. Think think about the law and the prophets. Think about the Old Testament. Think about all of the things that you really have studied and have come to know. Who is the Messiah? Including his nature. Because indeed he is more than what they were considering or hoping for. Way more. The reply was that the Christ is the son of David. That's all they answered with. He's the son of David. Correct. But you're only partially correct. According to the lineage saying that the Messiah is simply an offspring of David, not fully grasping grasping that he is more than that. And then that leads them. It's, it, it's a leading question. Jesus was leading them right to Psalm 110, verse 1. And you can look through the entire psalm, which they knew very well. Again, they were correct in their answer, but incomplete. According to 2 Samuel chapter 7, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, and Luke 1, 31 through 33, the Christ is the chosen descendant of King David. We know that to be true. But again, there's more to the answer. It's not just that. Jesus asks them two times before quoting Psalm 110. He says right before, he says, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, and then he quotes Psalm 110.1, and then he says it again, If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? They asked him two times, how how is that possible? This is what happens here. How is it that David calls Messiah Lord and at the same is his son? Jesus was leading them to think about this, to lead them to knowing who was standing before them. I want you to know, who stands before you right now? Who it is that you've been making every attempt to entrap and have failed? You yourself know the truth. And I have been answering you with complete knowledge and understanding. And you know it. Tell me. He was leading them to acknowledge both the Messiah's humanity and his deity. You see, they answered answering in his humanity. But he was going beyond that. He's pointing out his deity and ultimately the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ, whom again was standing right before them. Jesus is both the son of David and the son of God. He is fully man and fully God and is able only then to be our savior. The sacrifice sufficient to atone for, to pay in full for our sin on the cross. Only in that manner. 
In fact, it's interesting because Jesus uses their own rabbinic method of setting up mutually conflicting laws or seemingly conflicting laws or conflicting sequences of thought. And then, of course, leading them to a place to where I'm going to resolve that for you. I'm going to answer that for you. But no one had an answer. Not a single The lawyer asked the question, but there was Pharisees, they were still gathered around. They could very easily have refuted that, but they couldn't. Because he spoke the truth, he pointed to the very obvious thing, and yet they failed to confess the very obvious thing. I don't think that they couldn't. I really think that they didn't want to answer the question, because it would have served as a confession to who he was. I think that that's our problem many times. The evidence is before us. It's right here. It's right before our very own eyes. We can read it. We can study it. We can come to understand it. And yet, if we fail to confess it and believe it, we have failed to truly grasp and receive that grace that God so willingly offers to us through Jesus Christ, being saved by grace through faith in Him, in Him alone. For Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's all there. It's laid out before us. We can come to know it, but if we fail to confess it, confess it then it does us no good. Because we remain in our sin and we are condemned already because we have not received His grace. No one dared ask Jesus any more questions. They had failed to trap Jesus with their questions. And it's interesting and worth noting that Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4, is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Because it serves as the question that everyone needs to come to understand, know, and hopefully answer rightly. This, this very section of, of, of Scripture, Psalm 110, it's the most quoted in all of the New Testament. Well, we do come to know that there are those who did come to answer correctly. There is the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, John, Philip, Stephen, and so many here. You've come to answer that question. And there are so many more that will continue to answer in the affirmative and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That is what we come to know is is salvation in Jesus Christ, believing and confessing that He is the Son of God who died for our sins. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So even as we go to those verses, we can see very clearly that he is both the Son of Man and the Son of God. Born of a virgin. The answers to our questions lie before us. The question for us is, do we care to open up the Word of God to receive the answers to our questions? Or do we still rely on popular opinion, public opinion, everyone else, our own hearts, what we want to believe, or do we really care to really receive and find God's wisdom and the answers to these questions. And I I pray that we would be a people that would be given to the book, that we would be known as a people of the book. Students of the very word of God that we profess to trust in. Consider this. Number one, the great commandment strikes at the heart. That's really what we have here in Jesus' answer. He gives the great commandment, but then he follows it up with what it looks like in everyday life. The great commandment strikes at our heart. If this whole love for God is absent, it will reveal itself in relationships with others, legalism or compromising. Two completely opposite sides of the spectrum. Both reveal a lack of understanding the right love for God with emotion, will, and knowledge. Either one of those. If you're found really uh, to be very critical of other people, and uh, then you may be falling into legalism, to where you're applying your own standards to that person. Stop. Ask for forgiveness from the Lord and help them to see Him for who He is. Really, when you align yourself with, with the Lord, He will help you in that area. Remember grace. Remember grace. Remember grace. Compromising also is on the other side of the spectrum, and that also reveals a lack of understanding the right love for God with emotion, will, and knowledge. Because to be in a place of willfully sinning on a regular basis is to not understand who God is in our lives and what He desires for us. There is an expectation, a standard Commandments that we are to follow and express our love, love for God through and with. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. 
So it's very clear that we express our love for God by obeying His commandments. Perfectly? No. We can't possibly do it perfectly. But by God's help, we can continue to be refined, strengthened, and mature in His Word that we would come to understand who He is in our lives and better glorify, reflect Him to others. Others should see you and they should see Jesus more clearly six months down the road than they, they saw Him today in you. A little more. Our deep sense of gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus is seen in correct interpersonal relationships. And that blesses and glorifies God. To love God and to love others is what sums up the Bible. And one is never more important than the other, but both are to be equally emphasized in the life of a Christian. Both of them. Number two, who is Christ in you? Or who is Christ to you? Uh, this question, again, is not just part of our study of what took place between Jesus and this lawyer. It's not, uh, this is a historical study. You know, let's see what happened 2,000 years ago. No, no, no. This conversation that took place between a lawyer and Jesus is important for us today, and it is relevant. It's not just another situation, just like Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and the Sadducees, Jesus and the Herodians. Jesus and the scribes know it is very important for us to understand what has taken place and apply it to our lives today. This is a question that is important for us to answer this very moment. There is a purpose to the scriptures, and that is to know who God is and know that in Christ we are reconciled unto the Father by grace through faith in Him, that we would come to know a saving faith. In fact... John chapter 20, verse 31 says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, knowing eternal life in Jesus Christ. The love that God has for us is revealed in His sacrifice on the cross. For God demonstrated His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in scriptures, we have it all laid out before us. Is our love for God revealed in what he sees in us before him? I pray that that's what would be desired in our lives. That in response to the love that he's already demonstrated to us, that we would seek to bless him and glorify him with our lives. Do we unashamedly Confess Jesus as our Lord and God? Or do we keep silent? You know, it's good that others see Christ in you. But do they know? Or are you just uh, what they would, because the world will consider you just being, you're just a good person. You're a good, clean guy, you know. And just, uh, no, do they know Jesus? Do they know that that's, that's who you're reflecting? There are some things, by the way, that could be leading, as the example we have in the Bible, uh, Jesus did with these people. We can do that in our workplaces. We can do that uh, with our extended family. We can do that with our neighbors. We can ask some leading questions. There's nothing wrong with, with asking leading questions. 
Here's a question for you that will spark a conversation. and You'll get to know where people are. Where do you go to church? You're just assuming that they go to church, right? And if they don't go to church, they're more than happy to tell you, I don't go to church. Oh, oh, or they'll say, oh gosh, you know, it's been a long time since I've been to church. And that's a conversation starter, isn't it? Simple one? It's a simple one. And so, so it leads you into that. So many ways that you can confess Jesus as Lord in your lives. And I pray that we would be encouraged to do that. The question is how? The question is when? So what we have before us are these questions again. We're concluding with these questions that were asked of God. And this one question that Jesus asked of the people. This final question. From here on out, uh, we're going we're to learn next week about these seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. At this point, he's, he's basically letting them have it. Guns a-blazing. This is a, like a final warning. You need to heed these warnings. But they're done asking him questions. I hope at some point we're done asking God questions in a way that, you know, the, the intent behind it is to justify where we are or, you know, to simply mock God. That, that we're done with that. And we get to the point to where we know that God's word is perfect and he provides all the answers that we need. Just ask genuinely and you'll find them. And I pray this morning that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Above all, this morning, if you walk away with anything, if you're not here and, and, and you don't know, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, Lord and Savior, confess your sins, repent of your sins, and ask Him to be your Lord, Lord and Savior. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. If that is a genuine cry to the Lord, you will know salvation this morning. And I pray that you would do that. You would not delay. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. And I pray that today would be the day of salvation. You can do that in the privacy of your own chair right now. You can do it afterward. You can come and, and just tell us, I, I want to know more. Or I did cry out to the Lord. I did ask for forgiveness. And we will, just be, we will be here to encourage you in your new walk with the Lord. I pray that you have been built up and encouraged in the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. For you tell us that it accomplishes that which you set forth for it to accomplish. It never returns void. I just pray that we would respond to your word in a way that glorifies you, that we would build up as your, be built up as your people, encouraged, strengthened, and refined. And, and Lord, um, for anyone here who perhaps does not know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Knowing that salvation is not by works, lest anyone should boast. But it's simply by grace through faith. A faith, a complete confession that Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the one who died in my place on the cross. Demonstrating your own love toward me even while I was still a sinner. 
And through that finished work, I can come to know salvation and forgiveness of all my sins.